There we are. Can you hear me? I am, uh, as I was introduced earlier, Alan Amoson. I am not Chris Fowler, uh, even though we are dressed somewhat similarly, I've been told. Uh, is a uniform, I suppose, the, uh, the gray trousers and the blue shirt. Uh, Chris, as you heard, is on a, a bit of a staycation, enjoying some much-deserved rest. And Chris, we really appreciate you. And we really love you, and you do a great job. And, um, you know, I, I thank you for all you do, and it is a much-deserved rest. And I thank you for trusting me to um, stand in your place and hopefully uh, bring us a, a word from Scripture. Um, let's see. Mark Twain once said, write what you know. And uh, I suppose it would be silly for me to stand up here and try to talk to you about anything other than what I've been dealing with. And forgive me if I'm a little emotional. I'm surprised by that. I thought I would not be. Uh, I hope I can get through this without being overly emotional. But for those of you who, who know me, and I guess for those who don't, it's, it's been, a tough, been a tough couple of years. So let me just get this out of the way. Um, my wife of nearly 37 years passed away 11 months ago. In fact, 11 months ago tomorrow. Tomorrow will be the 11-month anniversary of her funeral, which we had right here. I sat right there and um, said goodbye. She had been diagnosed with cancer originally in 2015, early 2015, or maybe late 2014, and it had been treated stage one. We had done all the right things, and um, uh, it metastasized a couple of years later, and from fall of 2017, uh, we, we battled it, and it eventually overtook her. Uh, nine months later, uh, which would have been, I guess, Two and a half, three months ago, I lost my older brother. It's been a tough year. Tough two years, really. Um, but throughout it, I, I have to tell you, and this isn't to, to, to pat myself on the back, I, I just want to be honest with you. It's been really hard. Um, make no mistake, really, really hard. My wife and I started dating when we were 17 years old. I've never lived as an adult by myself. Um, it's, it's odd when you think of, I remember the first time I bought some clothes after she passed away thinking, I don't believe I've ever bought an article of clothing that I didn't ask her opinion on. I don't believe I've been to a restaurant other than I was out of town that I didn't ask, where do you want to go? Um, I've never lived as an adult on my own. Um, and... You know, it, it it has been difficult, but throughout it, I've never questioned God's sovereignty. I've never questioned his plans. I've never questioned that he is who he promises the, himself to be. Never questioned his plans for me. Never questioned that cricket is in heaven. Where she wanted most to be. Um I've never questioned any of that. I've never questioned God's uh, intentions or purposes and all of this. But it hurts. My goodness, it hurts, as you can tell. Um, 
And the question for me then is, and this is the question I'm wrestling with and the question I want you all to think about today because, you know, whether it's through my set of circumstances or yours, I imagine many of us face the same question, which is what to do now. And, and I don't mean now as in, you know, I'm 58 for the next 20 years of my life or whatever. No, I mean tomorrow. What to do now. Uh, a famous song that, that says, you know, when the, when the sky won't snow and the sun won't shine. That's what I feel like most days. Food doesn't taste good. Nothing I enjoy do I still enjoy. Uh, nothing feels quite right. And so what to do now? How do I get forward um, day to day and live productively as God wants me to when the sky won't snow and the sun won't shine? I've I've prayed really hard about this. I've I've thought about it hard. I've I've prayed um, just agonizingly painful prayers uh, alone for God to fill this, this vacuum. And what he's given me, uh, a number of things, but in particular is a, a passage of Scripture, Hebrews 12, and that's what we're going to look at today, if you don't mind. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, which goes simply like this, right? Uh, therefore, and I'll just read it out of my book if you don't mind. Uh, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, Lord, I thank you for your plans and purposes. They are not our plans and purposes. Um, they're different from our plans and purposes. Your thoughts are different from our thoughts, and your ways are different from our ways. But, Lord, we thank you for your ways, and we submit ourselves to them because um, we acknowledge, Lord, that you're perfect uh, and that your ways are for our benefit and for your glory. And I pray that for your benefit and for your glory, you open the eyes of our heart this morning. We can see and understand your scriptures and hear and follow your voice. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, this passage of scripture uh, may or may not to you seem obviously related to my set of circumstances. To me, it does a little bit, but it's, it's a bit of a circuitous route. So I want to walk you through it. Uh, as, I, as I read this passage of scripture, it... it, it says to me four specific things, and I think four things that are important for believers certainly to remember, because in this world we'll have tribulation, and certainly I've had a couple of years of it, Um, and that's not to make, I mean, there's no making light of it, that we all go through it may seem comfort at the time, but I got news for you, it's it's not comfort in the moment. Uh, The world just is a hard place. And oftentimes life itself can be very hard. And, and when we are hurting, I think it's important for us to remember these four things. So I want to go through them and uh, read some scriptures related to them. And I'm old-fashioned, if you'll forgive me. I, I didn't take the time to 
put all of my scriptures into notes that, that I could hand out, but I, I do want to read them to you because I want you to see that all of these things are, are grounded in God's Word and that He wants us to understand these. And the first is that anything eternal is worth more than everything temporal. Now, we are temporal creatures, and so we don't do a real good job of understanding what this means. But anything eternal is worth more than everything uh, temporal. And I'm going to illustrate this to you with, with some, some fractions, if that's okay. Uh, I know we have a math professor in the crowd, and God bless you, but a little fraction action here from the business guy, just because I think it will illustrate the, the, the point that I'm trying to make, and, and it will show you uh, honestly just how powerful this is. So let's see the first one. I said two years. I'm 58 years old. So for 3.4% of my life, 0.034 of my life, 2 divided by 58, I have been, to be perfectly honest, in, in um, let's just call it emotional agony. Uh, it has, <laughs> my goodness, I, I, I pray this, this time of, of sifting is over because I have been sifted like wheat, and it has been a tough two years. But in terms of my overall life, it is exactly uh, 3.4%, 0.34. All right, next one. If I was 100 years old, or if we were talking about those same two years in terms of 100 years, it would be only 0.02, or 2% of, of the total time. Let's see the next one. Um, the next one, if, if it were 1,000 years, obviously, at this point you begin to see a little bit of a pattern, it would only be 0.002, right, a, a, a tenth of, of 2%. And, you know, if it were 10,000 years, 0.0002. Same two years, but compared to 10,000 years of history, 0.0002. Now, to understand how big 0.0002 is, if we had a million dollars and multiplied it times 0.0002, you would have $200. Alright? So, that's pretty darn small. But it is still significant. I don't know that any of us wouldn't stop and pick up $200 if we found it on the street. So even compared to 10,000 years of history, two years of my lifetime is significant. It's smaller than two years of 58, but it's still small. But notice how that number gets smaller and smaller. But here's what's really interesting to me. When you divide two by infinity, it is equal to what? Zero. You see, the larger the bottom number gets... If the top number stays the same, uh, then the closer the overall number gets to zero. When you get to infinity, anything compared to infinity is zero. Now, I can be honest with you, it doesn't feel like zero. But the reality of it is, is that anything compared to infinity is, is worth absolutely nothing, is zero. And so... When I say anything eternal is worth more than everything temporal, I mean that, right? It may not seem so at the time, but it is. Now, if you think, well, okay, fine, Alan, but, but you know, is that scriptural? Well, yes, it is, believe it or not. So Jesus did not choose to illustrate this with fractions, but he did, um, he did tell this story. And I'll, I'll, I'll show you in a couple of places where he actually underscored this same principle. Matthew 6, if you don't mind. We'll turn over there real quick. As I said, I do a lot of flipping around. I'm just old-fashioned that way. But Matthew 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, 
Jesus actually comes out and, and says this very thing. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, it doesn't matter how many treasures you have, how much your treasure is. Don't store anything up there because whatever you have here, whatever you have as your treasure here can be destroyed. It can be stolen. It can be taken from you. Just as my treasure was taken from, from me. Um, look over Mark chapter 8. Same thing. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Mark chapter 8. Uh, look at my notes real quick. Verse 34. Then he called to the crowd, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the good of the gospel will save it. For what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Now I want you to think about that last sentence and tell me if that isn't exactly what I was just depicting with my little series of fractions. The entire world divided by eternity is worth absolutely nothing. Now, you can take my word for it, you can hear it coming out of Scripture, or you can hear what C.S. Lewis has to say, which was a little quote. And I've got a series of quotes that I hope you enjoy. I found them, and it was interesting how well they lined up with this. C.S. Lewis said, Everything that is not eternal is worthless in eternity. So, point number one. Anything that is eternal, doesn't matter how small, anything that is eternal is imminently more valuable, infinitely more valuable than everything that is temporal. So yeah, two years of just heartbreaking, extraordinarily painful uh, experience. At the end of the day, worth absolutely nothing compared to eternity. Just like the example of Jesus, who for the glory set before him persevered. Okay? So, point number one. All right, point number two. Let's see. Pain and suffering are real, very real, but also very temporary. Uh, yeah, uh, very real. As I stand up here, barely able to get a sentence out because of the, the, the sadness that I experienced just in telling the story. Uh, it, it's obvious that to me this is very real. And if you've experienced the sort of you know, the, the sort of tragedy that, that, that I've described, you know what I'm talking about, other types of tragedy as well. We're, we're told that in the world we will have tribulation, and we're not told exactly what that means because it comes in different shapes and sizes for different people. But all of us experience pain and suffering, and I certainly have been experiencing pain and suffering uh, myself for these past couple of years. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, it's not over. And I, I wish it was. It's getting better, but but it is not over. And I don't know that I'll ever uh, on this earth be completely relieved of it. Um, but it helps to know that it's temporary. It also helps to know that the pain and suffering that 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 I feel is a pain and suffering that has been shared by 
many, many others, and not just my own friends, but many of the people whom are recounted to us in Scripture, one of whom was described as a man after God's own heart. Look at Psalm 31, verse 9. Be merciful. This is David. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak and sorrow, my eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief, my life is consumed with anguish, and my years by groaning, my strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. I've probably read that passage of scripture, yeah, I don't know, many, many dozens of times. I've read the Psalms many times and I really enjoy them. Um, but I don't believe I ever heard it until I heard it. Uh, most recently in reading after after Cricket's uh, passing away. Um, David is in anguish. It, it, he's sad, yes, but I mean in anguish. He's not eating. His bones are wasting away. My, <laughs> my youngest daughter, who many of you know, uh, Yana, um, is, is, has gone out of her way for the past six months to just shoehorn food into me. Because she's convinced I'm getting too thin. You know, Dad, you're getting too Yeah, I can't eat anymore. Stop with this. You know, you can't exist off of cereal and hot dogs. So she's got Blue Apron coming three days a week that she makes. And, you know, it's a, oh, my goodness. It just wears me down. I see my son Christopher in the back. Christopher was home one time before Yana moved in. Opened my refrigerator. There was a gallon of milk, a thing of orange juice, and a pack of hot dogs. That was it. Um... Now, Yana's home, of course, the thing's overflowing with food. It, your, your whole body, you're not hungry. As I said, the sky won't snow and the sun won't shine. The food doesn't taste good. It's not, Chris did a wonderful job of trying to describe, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, what depression feels like. Um, it's hard to describe. You, you know that you're not healthy and you still don't care. Right? Um, David felt the same exact way. And that's very encouraging to me because um, the suffering is real. I've got a picture that I'll show you uh, that's coming up next. Look at this. This is... All right, there have been two grandchildren since this picture was taken, but uh, I use this one for a reason. This was before Cricket was diagnosed. You can see in the lower left-hand corner a little splint on her hand. She had wrist pain, and we uh, went to an orthopedist about it, and the orthopedist simply thought that she had carpal tunnel. Uh, It turns out that that was the beginning stages of the the bone metastasis. Uh, But we didn't know that then. And I look at this picture and I think to myself, we'll never have this again. This doesn't get better, okay? Um, It does, ultimately. But not on this side of heaven is it all made right. And it's important, I think, that we understand that. Not because, you know, I want people to, to... you know, sort of wallow in their in their sorrows like I seem to be doing almost uncontrollably sometimes. It's because it's in understanding that this won't get better that we persevere towards the promise that it one day will. Um, 
the, the reality on this earth is that my wife is gone. My brother is gone. My father, just before cricket was diagnosed the second time, passed away. In two and a half years, three of the people I was closest to for most of my life, gone. And my wife, probably the, the certainly the most powerful of those, simply because so much of our existence was, was bound up together. She will not see her daughter get married in December. She will not see her youngest son get married when he is finally married. She will not hold her grandchildren again. Our grandchildren will grow up not knowing their grandmother. She wanted to be called Gan without an R. Other than me telling them that, I will, they will never know, and she'll never get to hear them say that. Trips, like the one you saw at the beach, we won't do together again. We, we, we enjoyed so many things like that. And the reality is that we will not get to do those together again. Uh, there is real and powerful loss in this world, and the sadness is real and undeniable. Uh, scripture does not try to sugarcoat that, and we should not try and sugarcoat it either. You just heard David talk about it. Look over in First Peter. Peter acknowledges it as well. If I can find First Peter quickly. First Peter chapter 5. Always, by the way, if you're ever doing a, a, a sermon and you're not used to doing this, choose your verses from big books of the Bible. Right? So that way you don't have to sort of fiddle around and find them. That's just, that's a little editorial advice, but I won't charge export. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. This is Peter talking. Now, Peter understood a thing or two about suffering as well. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I've heard people say that, you know, we have peaks and valleys in our lives. And the reason we have valleys is because otherwise we wouldn't be able to appreciate the peaks. Well, that's kind of just what Peter said, right? It is an assumed reality that we will suffer for a time because God wants to restore us. Uh, and it is in that restoration that we'll, we will appreciate his greatness all the more. It's in just a new uh, Testament concept, by the way. Look over in Isaiah, way back here, uh, verse or chapter 53, verse 3. He was despised. Here, by the way, we are foreshadowing. This is a, a prophecy about Jesus himself. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and not, and we esteemed him not. Jesus himself suffered. I mean, let's think about eternity for just a minute. My goodness, it's so big. I, it is, here's one of the questions I've fiddled around with in my mind since I was a kid, right? I've always been fascinated by astronomy and planets and solar systems and galaxies and comets and all this kind of junk out there ever since I was a little kid. And I remember thinking about, you know, the, the, the spaces between the planets and then, of course, between the planets, between the solar systems and between, you know, the, the, the galaxies, solar systems add in galaxies and the spaces between those. And now there's really nothing in there. I mean, nothing in there. Most everything orbits around stars and planets because 
you know, because that's where the gravity is and that attracts stuff. So in between these large masses, there, there's, there's nothing, true vacuum. And then beyond the farthest galaxy we can see, which is about 200 million light years away, what's there? Ever thought about it? I mean, just suppose, right, we had like the Starship Enterprise or something even faster than that. And we could just, you know, right across the old galaxy and we're out of the galaxy and we're on our way to the next galaxy. Well, 200 million is a big number, right? 200 million pennies, you're still a millionaire. Uh, That's a big number. So 200 million, suppose you get to the last one. Well, then what? Do you hit a wall? What's out there? If the universe is infinite, it goes on and on. To where? It goes on and on self-sustainingly. It is infinite if, as far as we know. Well, we're told that, that time is, is, is infinite, right? And across all of infinity... A God who is big enough to stand outside of that and speak it into being. We got no idea how big God is. I always chuckle sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too. And I'm sure Chris has done this, and I'm sure all of us have done this at some point or another. We see a storm, you know, and we say, well, it's an example of the power of God. <laughs> oh, gee. The example of the power of God. This is a God that created a universe so big we can't even fathom it, much less measure it. And we think one little storm on one little insignificant planet and one little insignificant. There are 200 million galaxies that we know of within each galaxy, hundreds of millions of stars. Within each star, perhaps dozens of planets. One planet in that whole thing has one storm. And we said, boy, that's a tremendous manifestation of the power of God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. If God is who he says he is, then we have no concept. It is so much more than we have ever fathomed his size and his power and his greatness. And he sent his only son to come and to be identified principally through his suffering. A man of sorrows, much acquainted with suffering. Now, I've said to my kids, for those of you who have kids, you've said it. For those of you who are kids, you've heard it said to you. By some parent, some person in authority. Look, if I can make up my bed, you can darn well make up yours. If I can put my dishes in the dishwasher, you can darn well put yours in the dishwasher. Capiche? Yeah. God of heaven and earth, if I suffered, let's not make light of suffering. Please, 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 to someone who is in the heart of it, do not make light of it and come up and say, well, God, God has a plan. You know what? They know. You know, it'll get better one day. You know what? No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does get a little better, but it, it never gets fully well. Um, 
in this world we have tribulation. Now, we have ourselves to thank for that. We're, we're largely a rebellious, hard-necked lot who, through our sinfulness, introduced imperfection and corruption into the world and made a mess of things. It's just the way it is. Um, but because of that, generation after generation after generation, we have suffered extraordinary Hurt and sorrow. Elizabeth Elliot, who you may know, Elizabeth Elliot uh, lost, she was a missionary and she and her first husband were missionaries to South America and her uh, husband was killed by the very natives, the very locals that he had gone to minister to. And she said this, we want to avoid suffering, death, sin, and ashes. Of course we do. But we live in a world crushed, broken, and torn. A world God gave himself to redeem. That's how important it is to me. And that's how real the suffering is. Don't make light of it. Um, And at the risk of sounding pessimistic, don't pray that you'll get through life without it. Because in all likelihood you will not. Um... I've had a tremendously blessed life. Tremendously blessed. Uh, Somehow it wasn't enough over the last couple of years. Didn't seem enough. All right, point three. Let's get on to the third one. Because right about now we're going to make the turn. For those of you who have ever been to Augusta National, we're going to to make the turn. Amen corner here. the, the promise, number three, the promises of God are real, eternal, and completely reliable. Let's go way back here to Deuteronomy. All right, first one who can find Deuteronomy uh, gets gets a gets a uh, gets a cookie. I've already got it, so I'm looking forward to that chocolate chip cookie. Uh, chapter 31, verse 6: Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will, he will never leave you nor forsake you. How about that? Let's go back to Psalms real quick, where we were just a moment ago. Uh, chapter 89. I love this one. It's a little obscure, but this one jumped out at me a while back. In fact, I remember telling Chris, I sense a whole, you know, a, a whole message around this one, this one verse. You ready? I will, verse 34 of chapter 89. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have spoken. God does not change. Okay? Isaiah 45. Keep going in the same direction. Isaiah 45 verse 23. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. Okay? Um, Let's have the next picture real quick. Our confidence cannot be in the things of this world. Can't be in the things we can see or touch. Now, I get that we are all empiricists. We are temporal. We are bound in our bodies and our experiences. We are bound to the things we have right here. It's popular now to say, believe the science. You do know, by the way, this is a little editorial comment, but you do know that there was a time when the best science around told us that the world was flat. 
Why? Because that's what the evidence provided. You do know that there was a time when the best science in the world told us that the way to alleviate disease was to attach leeches and have them suck out the bad blood. Just saying. All right, here's the deal. For every generation, it is easy to make fun of the previous generations. What will they make fun of us for in a hundred years? That's what keeps me up at night. What do we think we know that just isn't so? I'm sure there's a lot. History hasn't stopped just because we now occupy it. Um, But we are limited creatures. We are limited in the sense that we can only measure with the tools we have available. We can only evaluate with the scales we have available. We can only calculate with the tools, again, the, the mathematical or analytical tools we have available to us. And even if we can be very impressed with those, what we ought to do is look at the lesson of history and say, well, you know, they were just as impressed 500 years ago, and they now look to us dumber than a sack of hammers. So 500 years from now, we will look no less dumb. Okay? Um, What is it that we are limited to? In our, in our vision towards what is it that we cannot see? And there's an awful lot that we can't see, Scripture tells us. Uh, there's a whole reality out there that we don't see. So we're limited to these things. But what Scripture tells us is, is all of those things pass away. The whole world will pass away. And so our confidence cannot be in any one thing. How many of you, certainly you've got to be older to be able to do this, but even if you're younger, you feel the same motivation. You get that monthly 401k statement, and you look at it, and the market's been up, and you've got a big number, and somehow that just makes you feel good. Yeah? Come on. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Don't, don't, don't sit there stone-faced because you know it's true. How many of you have the same exact but opposite mirror image feeling? The market has been terrible. You pull that 401k statement out and you look at it and that thing's down by 60%. It's like a 201 statement. And you're like, oof, oof, that hurts, right? Okay. Our entire motivation, our mood, everything about it is controlled by these temporal things which we know are temporary. How do we know they're temporary? Simply because it doesn't take but a few generations for them to lose all meaning. If you've ever been part of cleaning out the belongings of someone who passed away, I'm trying to do that now for my wife and trying to clean all of this up because what I don't want is my children to have to do it if in one of my travels somewhere I wouldn't come home. I don't want them to be stuck with this job. So I'm going through all these old pictures. Even our pictures, which we kept, I I have no idea. Probably 5% of the pictures I pulled out, I have no idea who those people are. We had a framed picture. Good-looking couple. It crossed my mind that maybe that's the picture that came with the frame. But no, there was no price in there. Um, no, this was, this was someone's great-grandparents. God bless them. Um, gone, right? They're just completely gone from our memory. Uh, I've told the story here, I know, of being on Hadrian's Wall, which is uh, roughly the border between England and Scotland. It's the border between England and Scotland because it's as far north as the Romans ever pushed. And north of that line, um, 
is is barbarianism. North of that, well, still is in some ways. Um, uh, north of that line was just a, a group of people in a land so 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 difficult that even the Romans couldn't couldn't control it. So they built a wall, and the wall really did represent the border between civilization and non-civilization, between the civilized and the barbarians. And I can imagine how people who stood guard on that wall, who lived in the camps along that wall, were pretty darn proud of themselves. We're on the civilized side. Those barbarians are not. We don't even know any of their names anymore. Maybe a few historians can give us a few names simply by reading records, but we, we don't know any of those people. They're gone. Everything that we can measure with our feeble tools, will pass away. Scripture tells us this. And though, and so Billy Graham says, here's my, my next quote, from one end of the Bible to the other, God assures us that he will never go back on his promises. And he gave us a rainbow to remind us of that. That's one of his promises. Those promises will not fail. Not a letter of God's law will be lost. Not a one of God's people will fall from his hand. Now, either God's good as his word or he's not. But if he is, then those promises will never fail. And long after the air conditioning system in this building is gone, long after uh, the things, the buildings that we built, the monuments to our own arrogance, uh, all of the things that matter, whether you're an Alabama or a Georgia fan, and you think that that game mattered. All of that will be forgotten and gone. What will remain will be God's promises. So it then raises the question, which is my fourth point. What are the promises of God? Well, God promises redemption, restoration, and joy. All right, read you a couple of verses, show you another picture, and tell you the story. We'll start again in Isaiah because I dig the book of Isaiah. You don't dig the book of Isaiah, you need to read more. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. Even youth grow tired and weary. I'm not young and I'm certainly tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Sorry. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Uh, Another passage similar to this from the book of Jeremiah, familiar to you, I would imagine. Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. And I love this. I know. I know. You don't need to know. Why don't you need to know? Because God knows. And if he knows, that's all that matters. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then the last one, and I'm going to apologize in advance because even when I was preparing, I couldn't read this passage without it being emotional for me. But right at the very end, book of Revelation, This is one of the the closing realities that God leaves us with before he closes out his own word. Chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself... Excuse me. 
lost my spot. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older things of this world have passed away. I'll show you another picture. A couple of uh, a couple of months ago, my oldest daughter—that's her. T- that, by the way, that's that that athletic, strapping young man on your right. That's me. Um, <laughs> and to to my right is my daughter Jacqueline, my oldest daughter, and she has recently moved to Whitefish, Montana, with her husband, who's the guy on the far left. Love that kid too. Uh, and that's his dad and his sister, and we were all part of the effort to move them up there. And they were about 30 minutes from Glacier National Park. So we, we went in there and we took this picture. And um, I, I use it for this purpose. I, I thought really hard about this. I said, how in the world do you illustrate to people the things that won't pass away? And then it occurred to me, you can't. Because everything that we could illustrate it with is temporal. Everything that we could illustrate with um, are the very things that we wrongly place our hope in. But what we can rightly place our hope in are the assurances of God. And then what occurred to me is the assurances of God are manifested day after day through our experience. God gives us little insights into what he is capable of and to what he promises. What I mean by that, this is Glacier National Park. If you've ever been there, breathtaking. I've been a lot of places in this world and rarely have I been to many quite like this. This place is stunningly beautiful. It exists on one little planet, in one little solar system, in one little galaxy, in one little obscure corner of the universe. God created it just like that. The same God that created that promises that his, uh, his promises will be fulfilled and that we will have restoration and joy. And as evidence of that, even though one generation of my family, my father is gone, my brother is now gone, my wife is gone, for Jacqueline, that means her granddad, her uncle, and her mom. And it hurts. I promise you, it hurts her just like it hurts Christopher, I know. They're gone. But you know what? There will be other good days. And we will experience those good days as small blessings over and over and over again. And you'll oftentimes hear people say, you know, if you look for the blessings of God. I, I don't think they mean look for miracles in the, in the sort of traditional sense of the word. What they mean is look for the fact that even in our sinful experience, even in our fallen state, God's right there with us just giving us a little taste, a foretaste of the goodness that he has in store for us. There will be a time when we will have wonderful days like this without ever worrying about crying again. Why? Because he promises it. He promises it as much. I'll tell you how Martin Luther put it. And I I love this. He says, I have held many... My goodness, this is powerful. But he says, I have held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I will always possess. So last time I was here, uh, and I I looked back and I asked Chris to to confirm, 
was uh, Easter of 2018. I think Chris was in South America then, and uh, I was honored to fill in for him. But on that day, I talked about a passage from uh, from the book of Luke, Luke 24, uh, that's known as the walk to Emmaus story. You probably know the story. Two guys walking along the road, and they're, they're just, they're completely crushed and downcast because they had invested themselves in the messiahship of Jesus. They had said, um, you know, this is the deliverer. This is the fulfillment of the scriptures. Here we go, right? Kind of like that feeling you get when, you know, when the brakes release on, uh, you know, on Space Mountain. When you're, you're seated and after all that line, you finally get in, you feel the brakes release and you start rolling and you think, here we go. Um, only to then, in just a few short months later, be standing there and watch their supposed Messiah, crucified and die. And they were just crushed, and they were walking along, and they were talking about uh, how, you know, how dejected they were and how wrong, I'm sure, how wrong they had been in thinking about this. And um, then Jesus came up, and he talked to them, and, and he didn't reveal himself at first, uh, but he talked to them about how the Scripture had predicted all of this and how the Scripture was now fulfilled uh, and then as they came to that understanding, he revealed himself. Suddenly then they could see him for who he was, and he disappeared. Um, and I believe I said to you then that what that to me at least symbolized was that once you have seen Jesus, that's enough. They didn't need to ask him any more questions. They didn't need to talk to him and figure out this, that, and the other thing. They saw Jesus. And it was enough, even in the face of all the hurt they had felt. So I thought to myself, I know Chris likes to uh, to, to give you practical implications, and I'm, I'm not as smart as he is, but I thought to myself what this really means for me, right? And maybe it means something similar for you. And I came up with a little list. First, throw off that which hinders and put my trust in the eternal God. What sorts of things hinder? My sadness hinders. I'll be honest with you. My desire to have the life I had hinders. My desire to follow the plans that I had made. Cricket is my age. One month younger. We were going to travel together. Our kids are now grown and out of the house. We have grandkids. We, we, oh, we had so many plans. We were going to go see all four of the Grand Slams. We were going to do what we called the Amoson Slam. We were going to go to the French Open, the U.S. Open, Wimbledon, and the Australian Open, all in one year. Wouldn't that be cool? I'm never going to do that now. Not with her. I may do it by myself, but I doubt it. Um, but holding on to that plan is a hindrance, because clearly that wasn't the reality God had for me. So throw off that which hinders. And that, that can hurt. Honestly, that can feel like leaving things behind. But I, I see it so clearly in Scripture that I can't help but embrace the reality and, and pursue it as a, as a goal. Uh, fix my eyes on Jesus and don't lose heart. Uh, it can be easy to lose heart. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can worry. You can question. You can you know, wonder. You can ask why in the world would God? Why? You know, and, and you can get hung up on the fact that he doesn't answer. I, in many instances in my life, I've asked God why. I remember one time going out and praying outdoors and looking up at the sky and all the stars and saying, God, why? And you know what he said? Nothing. 
Now, elsewhere in Scripture, I won't bother to read there, but God says to people who are asking why, he says, where were you when I created the world? I don't have to answer you. I've told you. I've got good plans for you. It's up to you whether you want to get on board. Okay? Um, So, fix my eyes on him and don't lose heart. And then the last one, uh, trust him, and as the, the passage said, run with perseverance. The race marked out before me. Now, one of the challenges, I'll be honest with you, as I said earlier, one of the challenges of where I am in life right now is, you know, I used to have a sense of where my life was going. I used to like driving down the interstate. You know, you, you know there will be stops, but you don't know exactly which ones, but you kind of know the direction and you know what the pattern will be and you know what that feels like. To me, the world looks like a parking lot now. No lines, just asphalt. And I, I have no idea where I'm going. Well, Here's what I do know amidst all of that uncertainty. Sun will come up tomorrow. And I will still have the obligation to do the right thing, love people, follow God's will, put one foot in front of the other, set an example for anyone who's watching. I may not know what the world holds for me next year, five years, ten years, but I know what tomorrow looks like. And that's what perseverance means. Get up tomorrow and just do it again. Do it well. Do it with excellence. Do it as unto the Lord. And if you do all of these things, another passage that I'm sort of quoting without quoting it, then all these things will be added to me as well. Now, that got me thinking, what things? And I prayed about this a little bit. And... God answered me. He said, you have to ask all the promises. All these things, everything I've promised you will be given to you as well. Prosperity, peace, joy, gladness, purpose. All of these things that you are lacking right now will be given to you as well. Why? Because I promised them. And it got me thinking that one of our tendencies in our, in our sinfulness is we take sometimes pretty simple things and we make them complex. Uh, many of you know I'm an academic. I'm the dean of the, the College of Business. And uh, over the years I've been blessed to be a, a, a decent academic as, as people in my industry account it. And so I, 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 I guess gotten to the point where people listen to my opinion, at least in my discipline. One of the things I've said is... Um, you know, the sign, the hallmark of, of, of true wisdom is the ability to take the complex and make it simple. Anybody can make something simple and turn it into something complex. Um, but somehow we tend to associate complexity with smartness, which I, I don't fully understand. And through thinking about this, God showed me that it really is a pretty simple reality. It's just one that we have trouble wrapping our minds around. All God asks us to do is persevere towards Him. I don't know where any of you are going to be years now. I don't even know where I'm going to be. Maybe you're on the mission field. Maybe you're at work somewhere. Maybe you're back in school. I don't know, right? My life has taken all manner of twists and turns. But throughout all of it, each day began by taking one step. 
Each day began by getting up and committing to doing God's will in that particular day. In doing God's will in that particular instance. Each day began with that moment where you choose to persevere, to run the race, or you choose not to. And the ability to do that is something that he tells us to do, our circumstances notwithstanding. You will have tribulation, he says. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. All I ask of you is to trust me and persevere in taking that next step. Do that, and all these things will be added unto you. I have one more quote, and then we'll close. Um, This is a pretty famous quote, in these parts at least. And I will not be able to get through it without being emotional, and I apologize. But um, it's famous here because we oftentimes set it to music, and I'm not going to sing it uh, because I think in this case it's, it's maybe more powerful and poignant just to hear the words read. But it's from a guy named Horatio Spafford. who in 1873 felt about like I'm feeling right now. But Horatio Spafford wrote down these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you are who you say you are. Lord, I thank you that we can have confidence in you and in your goodness. Lord, I thank you that you are in control. And even when our circumstances are so overwhelming, you don't change. You don't sleep or slumber. You're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you have promised us that your plans for us are good and that your purposes will be fulfilled. And that in everything we do, you will be with us in every step we take. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you for this congregation and this group of people. And I just pray that you give us wisdom and the power to, Lord, seek your will today for as long as today is still today. In your name we ask. Amen. Um.